All right, church. Let me just tell you right off. I mean, did you see how many people were there? It was over like 2,000 people. It really was. It was extraordinary. So all of you who took part in that, please stand up. I'll just, you know, give honor where honor's due. Stand up. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. Okay, now don't all of you get too comfortable because I'm going to ask some other people to stand up too. I'm going to ask those veterans, because Thursday is Veterans Day, those of you who have served, please stand up so we can also honor you. Please stand up. Thank you. Romans 13.7 says, give honor where honors due." so we give you honor. I tell you, God is good, amen? amen. So, um, another thing here is as we, uh, as we, you know, before, you know, I always like to encourage you to pray. You know, this week is uh, the, the week of, of prayer for missions, and you have this in your bulletin, I believe. Uh, make sure to, as you pray this week with whoever, um, be sure to pray about, especially the Operation Christmas Child. That's something that, you know, that God will be able to use uh, to, to just spread his kingdom. And uh, again, Yvonne's here. I'm just stoked. Amen. And last but not least, uh, please, uh, I encourage you, read Exodus 14, 14 this week. Uh, In light of today's message, in light of the world, (laughs) the way it is currently, read Exodus 14, 14. Focus in on that passage and see how God speaks to you through his word. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much today for everything that you have done. God, you are so good, so far beyond anything we can imagine. You just do so much for us that we don't deserve. And you do it freely. You just you want to do it for us. You want to give us blessings. And it's extraordinary. God, thank you for that. God, be with all the churches that are meeting around the world in whatever capacity, because we are one body. We are all united by Christ. Be with them, Lord, the ones that are hiding, the ones that are having hard times, the ones that maybe overcome with sickness. God, just remind them, encourage them, as you do with us, to say we're all in this together for the name of Jesus. God, we also pray that if there's any, any one struggling with sins, which I know I struggle all the time, God, remind us that we are forgiven in Christ that there is peace and there is hope and there is joy and that we are not our sin. We are identified with Jesus. Even if the people around us want to identify by our sins, we identify in Jesus and say we are, our sins are forgiven. God, we pray for also for the missionaries around the world that they just continue doing the work of the ministry and we pray for them. God, we pray for our nation. We pray for the world and all the other nations, Lord, that your name be magnified amongst it and hearts become changed. And God, we pray for those who are not able to be here today. They're at home or isolated somewhere, maybe in a hospital, wherever it may be, Lord. Remind them that they are loved and we care for them. And Lord, convict us of our sins. If there's sin in our life, help us reveal it to us so we can repent of it and lay it down before the cross saying it's been forgiven in Jesus so we don't cling to our sin and cling to Jesus instead. We pray this in your son's name so, Lord, fill us with hope, love, and peace so we can Live the faith out consistently before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, you know, Christ really is our everything. I mean, I know it sounds 
cliche or I, so I, I, you know, idealistic and not really concrete to say that. But it, it's really true. Christ truly is our everything. I mean, when he spoke those words from the cross in John 19.30, says, it is finished. They really mean what they mean. It's all done in Christ for, for all that humanity needs is found in Jesus. The gospel message of, of Christ coming to this earth to, to live a perfect life, a, sin, a sinless life, to die as the, as the sacrifice for our sins so we can have forgiveness and have reconciliation and, and, and peace with God, and then coming back to life uh, to give us eternal life by faith in Him alone. You know, this, this message is, is powerful and life-changing. You know, I, I mean, what you have is a perfect being coming to fight for sinful people. You have this completely other being, the God of the universe, the second person of the triune God, coming down to this earth, taking on human flesh, human nature, to come and fight and give honor to those who are completely dishonorable at his own expense. God God comes running after people who do not meet his expectations at all. So rather than ignore them, he comes to them and meets those expectations himself for them. People who wanted to live a life without God and enjoyed living a life without God that ignored him and didn't want any type of fellowship with him at all, who enjoy keeping distant from him, God, in response, wanted to be with those people in and for eternity. So he sent his son to die for them, to die in their place, to forgive them because he loved them. Not because of anything they would do or have done, but because he loved them. That is the heart of the gospel in which we all believe and proclaim. And that message is powerful and that message is freeing. When you take the time to really think on it, it's so backwards to everything else in this world. God wanted to be with us before we wanted to be with him. And he enjoys that aspect somehow. In 1 John 4, uh, 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 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. Romans Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still sinning, like what nothing to do with him, Christ died for us. Before you repented, he was thinking of you. So So if God is for us, Through faith in his son, if his love and favor are upon you, what else could you compare to that? I mean, what else could you ever need in relation to this truth and grace over us now by faith in Jesus? I mean, to know that you are now in the hands of God your whole life, everything about you is now all being taken care of by God because Christ gave his life in exchange for yours. I mean, think about it. Christ met all your failures with his victories. He met all your sins with his perfection. He met all your faithlessness with his faithfulness. He met your selfishness with his selflessness. He met your hate with his love. He met your pride with his humbleness. He met your lust with his purity. He met your stupidity and naivety with his wisdom and his greatness. He met your unkindness with his deep care. 
He met your stubbornness with his willful submission. Christ has met everything for you so you can have a perfect and favorable and loving relationship with God by faith in him, even though you mess up along the way. See, what happened upon the cross was not just a simple death. It was not just, hey, Jesus is back to life now, so I guess things are different. No, what happened upon the cross was a life-giving transformation to all those who place their faith in him. It's a transformation that brings absolute freedom as we live in this dark world. For now, by faith in Jesus, we have been freed from the bondage of sin and death in every circumstance of our life. So now we can have true peace in our life all because of Jesus being in our life now by faith in Him. For the gospel, with all this in in mind, produces peace in us because we have been truly freed from this world. And we have, and and this is what we're going to go over today. As our title says, we're going to look at the gospel of peace, which we already now, we already have it now in Christ. And we're going to see how that gospel of peace is the answer this world needs and the answer we always need. You never leave it. So rather than looking to the world to make peace or create peace for us as individuals or for the world, we can just look to the very one in which we place our faith in and let the world that there is an answer of how to obtain true peace. And his name is Jesus. So Paul is going to help us today go deeper into what that means and what it looks like in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 today. So in verse 14, Paul states, For he himself is our peace. Now, what you have here is Paul saying, Look, I want you to understand the power of the gospel that's in your life now. And the way Paul does this to express the power of what he has done upon the cross for us, What Jesus has done upon the cross is that Paul does not just say that Christ is a peace giver or or peace proclaimer. He will later, which is because it's the logical consequence of what we're about to go over here. But he says Jesus alone is our peace. And that brings us to our first point. Jesus is the embodiment of peace. Paul is saying that Jesus is the very source, the foundation, the archetype of peace. Or as Micah 5.5 says, and he shall be their peace. You want to know what peace is? Look to Jesus. You want to know how to make peace in your life? Look to Jesus. You want to know how to live peacefully? Look to Jesus. And to take us a bit deeper into the peace that Paul is speaking here then in regards to Jesus being our peace, this peace is not just the simple definition that we commonly think of or see in the world. That it's like, you know, the absence of war or absence of disturbances. But with Jesus, Paul is saying uh, Jesus being our peace, he means so much more than that. It's not just an absence of conflict, but it's the very full presence of completeness, wholeness, soundness, well-being in our life now. Jesus, Paul is saying, is our fullness. 
He is the fullness. Jesus not only covers what we lack, but he fulfills all that we need and more. Christ is our satisfaction, is our contentment. In him, we are fully complete. We no longer need to gain or obtain. We no longer need to slave away in becoming to exhaust ourselves, to make up for our past or to get something in the future. We are already fully complete in him by faith in him alone. Our lives are already enriched and full because we have him in our life by faith alone. Whatever you're dealing with, it's a full, abundant life. Nothing needs to be added to us to complete us or to bring a soundness to us. For Christ is all that. We just need to realize it and rest in it. If you have faith in Christ, you are seen by God as the perfect wife, the perfect husband. If Even though you have failed much, I'm good at that, failing at a, as a husband. You're seen as a perfect parent, a perfect grandparent, even though you have messed up much. You are seen as a perfect worker, even though you stumble a lot and complain about your boss. You are seen as a perfect friend now, even though you botch it up at times and sometimes say things you probably shouldn't. You are seen as a perfect person now, even though you mess up things in your life and other lives, which I'm sure no one ever does that, right? See, Christ has freed us from the burden of doing to be something or the heavy weight of striving to keep and maintain an image Christ has released us from that because he has fulfilled all of that completely before God. He is our peace, so we can be at peace in our life with whatever comes our way because God's blessings are now being poured out over us by faith in Jesus alone, despite our imperfect performance or shoddy and shallow obedience to him. See, we can stop fighting, stop fretting, stop worrying, stop striving, and just rest in His grace, rest in His peace, and look to Him to do all the heavy lifting. Look to Him to do the deep cleansing in our life. Now, with all this in mind then, Paul takes this Christ is our peace even deeper to say not only is He our peace on an individual level, but he is also our peace in our interaction with other human beings. I know some people are like, ooh, humans. But they see a a little dog and they're like, ooh, how cute. Human? Oh, no. But anyways, and this leads us to our second point. Jesus is the peace between people. He is the answer on how to create peace between people. He is the peace that no human ingenuity, that no accomplishment could ever do or create. And the church is the great expression of that peace, the peace of Jesus. So Paul continues in verse 14 and says, who has made us both one? So what you have here is Paul saying, look, 
From a biblical perspective, there was just two groups of people before God, the Jewish people and the Gentile people. That was it. There were God's people and the rest of the world. So Paul is saying our peace, who made us both one, Paul, as a Jew, is including himself in this, saying at one time there was a disunity between Jew, the Jewish Ephesians and the Gentile Ephesians before they knew Jesus. Or really, a disunity before, between Jews and Gentiles everywhere before Jesus came into this world. There was no friendly relationship or acceptance of each other. There was no harmony with each other. Hence, no peace. For salvation was limited to basically a certain group of people, the Jews. And for the most part, if you were not Jewish in descent, you were out because there was a dividing wall of hostility. Now, it's important for the context that you realize here that the hostility that Paul is speaking of here is between man and man. Not between hostility between God and man. That comes later, later in the text. Right now, Paul is focusing on the peace between men that the cross overcame. The hostility that, he, that the, uh, the cross overcame. Excuse me. Paul, in essence, is saying, if you want true peace between people, between nations, between families, or in your workplace, or with humans at all, It is through believing the gospel message, not through education, not through philosophies, not through politics. It is through Jesus. He is our peace. Give them Jesus. That is how you make true unity, oneness, and true peace between men. But anyways, back to the text. This hostility, this disunity between Jews and Gentiles is no longer the case for that has been broken down by the cross, or as he says, this, or uh, by his flesh. Paul says in verse 14 through 15, and, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in the ordinances. So what in the world is this dividing wall or fence then of hostility? What did Christ break down in his flesh, break down upon the cross, and thus abolishing it? Well, what what you have from the text alone, it's the Mosaic law. You know those estimated 613 laws given to Moses on Mount Sinai from the burning bush? Well, the covenant that was made between Moses and the Jewish people upon the mountain is what Paul is speaking of here. Those laws in creating those laws were creating hostility between Jews and Gentiles, for they were the wall or fence of protection for the Jews from the Gentiles. The law was there to keep the Gentiles' ways and influences, which were impure, unclean, and unholy and common. The law was there to keep all of that out. So this wall was keeping the Jews segregated from everyone else. The laws isolated them from the Gentiles, or as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. Now, before, before faith came, that was referring to Jesus, we were held captive under the law, referring to the Jews, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So the law, referring to the covenant, the Moses one, the law was our guardian until Christ came. So there was this always a mass separation 
And all that the Jews did, wherever they went in the Gentile world, there was always this wall of hostility around them. There was no integration, no adoption of Gentile cultures in their way of life. There was no redeeming the Gentiles' ways of doing things around them. There was no transformation of culture. Taking, you know, the evil and then turning it into being used for good. There was no progression. There was no change. Just isolation or annihilation. That's it from the law. So all interaction was hostile in some sense because the law would make it so. Because the Jews were under the law. There was no oneness or unity with any other culture. But that all has changed now because of what Jesus has done in his flesh or upon the cross over 2,000 years ago. He has now made peace between believing Jews and believing Gentiles. And he has made them one through faith in Christ. And Paul explains how that happened, how that oneness came about. He says, by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in the ordinances. Now, again, to be clear here. Paul is not speaking of all the covenants ever made. He's being very specific of one, the Mosaic Covenant. The one that God made between Moses, uh, the one that God made with Moses after he freed the Jews from Egypt. So Paul, so Paul, uh, so Paul is saying that the covenant that was abolished by Christ in the flesh upon the cross which in turn removed the hostility between Jews and Gentiles, is that one, that Mosaic one. And in terms, when he says abolished, it really means nullified or no longer binding. And Hebrews 8.13 kind of speaks of this, of the Mosaic law, that that one being made obsolete. It says in Hebrews 8.13, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. So think of it this way. When you go back and you read all those Old Testament laws in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if you stay awake, I know sometimes we kind of fall asleep. If you're awake and you're reading it, you are now reading it as what God has done with the Jews in revealing their need of a Savior revealing that they can't save themselves, how they can't change their own hearts or anyone, let alone anyone else. We read it as no one can save themselves by relying upon the law. It becomes wisdom then for us to trust in Jesus more and his works alone and not in ourselves and in our own works. So we do not read this old covenant made with Moses as as a binding covenant upon us or anyone. For the covenant itself, as a covenant, is rendered useless now. For it is, uh, for it is only, it was only here until Jesus came and spilt His blood, fulfilling it, or as Paul says, broken it down in His flesh. Christ now has come and ratified, or finally burst, the covenants of promise that Paul spoke about earlier in chapter two, verse twelve. The covenants of promise that were stated over and over again to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and in Jeremiah 31. And so on and so on. For the covenants of promise were saying that there is a Savior coming for the Jews and the Gentiles. And and that God has promised to do everything necessary to get them into heaven. 
And this all comes into completion. Those covenants of promise comes in completion with Jesus who died upon the cross to establish the covenants of promise or the new covenant in His blood. Rendering that old covenant that Moses won useless. And then making Jews and Gentiles one through faith in Christ. But Paul does not leave it there, but he goes on to take us deeper then in seeing what he means by being made one by Christ through him being our peace. And what he says is so fascinating because at the last part of verse 15, he says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. What makes it so interesting, and it's hard to grasp a bit, to be very honest, is that what Paul is saying is that originally there were two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, but now Paul says Christ has made one new man of the two. That upon the cross, Christ gave his life to a new creation entirely, a new man. He did not take two groups of people and make one like the other. He did not take one group and adapt it a bit to like the other or mold it a bit to be like the other or removing some stuff to be like the other. This unifying and making one was not like saying, well, let's take these two groups of people and see what puzzle pieces might be able to connect to make one puzzle piece. No, through the cross, he created a completely different group by bringing the two groups together. He created a new humanity, a better a better man in place of the two. This new humanity in some level, we are now a new family that is spiritually related to each other and to Jesus that binds us all together through faith alone. And you think I'm kind of speaking kind of way out there a bit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not adopted into an older one. It's new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this too. But you are a chosen race, a new race here. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a new nation. A people for his own possession. Hebrews 11, I'm sorry, Hebrews 2, verse 11 speaks of Jesus now calling us his family. For it says in verse 11 of chapter 2 of Hebrews, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed of calling them brothers. So when Paul is making peace, what he's revealing is that for both Jew and Gentile, there's no more divisions or distinctions that exist If they have faith in Christ, Paul is saying here that there is the universal church now in which we all belong to by faith in Christ with no divisions amongst us. There is no us and them, no higher or lower, no, no, I'm more holy than you are or you're more, you're not as holy as I am. No, now, now I'm not saying that there is universalism, no, was Paul. That's not what Paul's saying either, that all people will be saved. Sadly, we know that's not true. Sadly, there are many people who just will not accept Jesus Christ and won't believe in him when they, when they die, and they'll, they will sadly go to hell because they reject him. 
and did not choose to follow Jesus. I, I, in this text, Paul is saying that rather that there is now this universal church which consists of people from all backgrounds, all cultures, all ages, all social status, all economic status, different, all personalities, all different skin colors, all different physical differences, all mental or emotional states, yes, and even different political views. There is a oneness now through faith alone in Christ that binds us all together as one and binds us with Him as a family, one family. Christ has made us a new people from all over the spectrum of life and the world. There is no longer this living in isolation from each other because of our differences. There is no segregation amongst us. For through our new creation in Christ, He has overcome those differences that you see or want to see, should I say. And we have become one in Him. For He is our peace. He is our fullness. He is our everything. He covers what we lack and gives us what we need and more. Because by faith in Christ, we are a new creation. We are His one body of believers. Through faith in Christ, we have been brought into a family that will last for eternity. Everyone that you see here who believes in Jesus that you're having a hard time with, guess what? You're going to see them in eternity. (laughs) Christ has obtained and is the peace for us so that we all can live in harmony now with each other, no matter who we are, what our age, or what political tribe we belong to, or what type of background we grew up in, or how much pain and hurt we have because of a certain group of people that have done it to us. Christ has obtained a freedom for us to have peace now so we can fellowship with each other now without distinctions. He has obtained the peace for us to gather and fellowship despite our differences, no matter how big and ugly they may be, to fellowship harmoniously even with our failures towards each other. I promise you I will fail you. But we can still fellowship under Jesus. We are brothers and sisters in Christ now. We are the new creation of God by faith in Jesus now. And we have been called to focus on that unity and peace now that Jesus has created for us now as we fellowship with each other as a church now. Not later, not when they become something that we want them to be. They are now. The church is the place where the real peace of Christ is seen between people of all types that you don't see in the world, you don't see in the media. For all people are now welcomed through having faith in Christ alone. The church is not a place of isolation like the old covenant was. Where we put up our hands and say, you are not welcomed here because of your medical or because of your political or because of your personal life choices. The church is a place where we say, come and know the peace of Jesus and his victory and how your sin can be forgiven. And and also to see his peace working amongst us. It is a place where we offer peace to each other and live in peace with each other. 
So the hostility between the two groups, or really any people who have faith in Jesus, is no longer there. For we are one people of God. We are His church. All hostility between each other has been done away with through what Jesus did and not what we can do. So verses 14 and 15 on a very practical level has just revealed that the burden of changing people, we all want to change people, but we don't want to change, but we want to change someone else. And restoring people, we like getting in other people's business, but we need to be in our own business and restore each other. Unifying people, we always like to see people unifying, but we don't want those people unifying. All that is not on on you and me. We could never do it. The changing, the restoring, the unifying. But it has all been done in Christ, fulfilled in Christ. He is our peace. He has done it. It's not about what we do or change people to do. The point is, is we point to the one who has done it all. So we can have true peace with each other and offer peace to each other and to those who don't know him. The burden's not on you. Doesn't that just kind of lift the burden of life? Like, oh, thank you. I don't want to change that person. Jesus, you do it. I'm just going to love them and show them Jesus. To know that changing people and creating peace amongst people doesn't rely upon you. It's not on you to fix it. It's already been fixed in Jesus. He has done it all through faith in Him. That's all you got to look towards. See, Christ is our everything. He's the very answer that people need and we need amongst ourselves. Any interaction, He is our peace. For through Christ, we can and do have peace with each other. You just need to realize it and be reminded of it. Now, Paul adds one more thing that Christ did by breaking down this wall of hostility. And we're coming to a close. For there was a, another party involved that was hostile to not, only Jews and, uh, to not only Gentiles, but also to Jews. And this brings us to our last point. Jesus is the peace between man and God. For Paul says in verse 16 that he might create, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, Paul says, look, all people, Jews and Gentiles, were in need of a Savior. That's what he's getting at here. This is why he says us both might reconcile us both to God. For yes, God so loved the world. Yes, God loves sinners, but he's a God of justice too, and he has to punish sin. Otherwise, he would be an unjust God. So Paul says all of us needed a Savior, for the Mosaic law, as good as it was, could not save anyone. It only exposed the sin the Jews had, and the Gentiles, well, all they had to go on was sin. So we were all under the wrath of God, but God, out of his love for sinners, did something about it. He sent his son to kill the hostility, rather than having the hostility kill us. Christ overcame the wrath of God towards our sins, towards us, through his death by dying in our place. So that he could create one body of believers of all types of people who have fellowship together before him as one. 
that they may only experience God's love and favor and care over them as his one people. So what does this all mean then? I know what I said today was kind of complicated because it's a complicated passage. Theologians debate over these things all the time. But the principle is this. We get nothing out of anything else I said today. The reason why there is so much hate, follow me. The reason why there is so much hate, follow me. The reason why there is so much hate and racism and strife and discontentment and wars and anger and disunity between families and nations and political groups and individuals is because they don't have Christ. For he is our peace. Only when people have come to know Jesus can there be peace in this world and in our life and in our home and in our politics and in our nation and in our workplace. That is why Paul says in verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Amen. For Christ came preaching peace and, then he se- uh, peace and then he sent his apostles throughout the world preaching peace. And guess what? Now we as people are called to do the same. Proclaim the gospel of peace. Not your ideas. Not your politics. Not your traditions. Not your educational system. Not your self-help books. Not the way you did it before. Not the past. Proclaim the gospel of peace to all you come in contact with and proclaim the gospel of peace to yourself. For Christ is the answer and is your answer and your supposed answer that your supposed opponent is looking for, it's peace that your opponent, your supposed opponent is needing. Whatever platform, whatever situation you can You're in. Proclaim the gospel of peace to this world. Use it to proclaim the gospel of peace. For this is the only way that there will ever be real peace in this world or in your life. You have the answer this world needs. And you have the answer that other Christians need. And you have the answer that you need yourself. And his name is Jesus. So I ask, is there division Is there disunity amongst you that is burdening you? Are you seeking the peace of Christ through faith in Him to overcome it? Or are you deep down trying to just ignore it or holding on to it and getting angry about it? Is there disunity deep deep down in your soul that you're just not letting go because you revel in the division? Because you're trying to do it on your own. I pray that you go to Christ right now for peace. For he has achieved it for you already with whatever it is, with whatever you're struggling with, with whoever you're struggling with. Stop trying to do it yourself. Stop trying to change people. Stop trying to change yourself. And go to God by prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit. For you now have access to do so. There is no hostility from him, even if you are in the wrong. Jesus says, come to him, and he will bring you to the Father, his loving Father, who sent him to die for you so you can speak with him, so you can have peace. 
So I pray that you do that today. Proclaim the gospel of peace wherever you go. And even to yourself more and more every day so you can be reminded of the peace that you have in Christ and be one who reflects that peace to others. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to invite some of the deacons to come up if you want to pray with them. You want to pray with someone out there? Pray with them. Just pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today being reminded that you have given us peace. Oh, God, help us to remember that we have peace. Because, Lord, that's the one thing this world tries to make us forget. That peace is through Jesus alone. It wants us to think that we have peace through everything else. Even peace with our own children. Saying we got to be a better parent, better, better whatever. It's not, it's Jesus. Help us remember that. That you have established peace in us. So God, I pray if someone is struggling right now with whatever it may be, that you go to them to remind them they, they, can have, they have peace in Jesus. And, and if someone does not know you today, whether online or in person here, Lord, I pray that they come to you and repent of their sins and trust in you today and say, I am all in for Jesus because he was all in for me. Thank you, Lord, for that beauty of peace, the gospel of grace. I pray this in your son's name.